Well, good morning. Welcome everybody who is here in person and everybody who is joining us online. I'm Thena Ritter. I'm on staff here at West Meadows, and it is just an absolute blessing to be speaking to you this Sunday. Last Sunday, I was not here. My husband and I were away. We were taking a bit of a rest. And now this Sunday, Mark and Nadine are away. And so because of his absence, I will be speaking for you. Now, I will continue in the same series that Mark has been speaking on, on the rhythms of life. And today, now that I'm all rested up from my breakaway, I'd like to speak to you on the rhythms of rest. So as I was preparing for my message, I was reminded of a statement that my mom and dad would say to each other. And although they were conversing with each other, I really felt like the message wasn't intended for them, but the message was intended for me. And I would hear them in an elevated voice saying something like, well, someone needs a rest, or someone needs a nap, and I couldn't help but think that I was probably the someone that they were referring to because often when I didn't get the rest that I needed, I would be quite cranky. But I'm sure all of you know a child or two who just goes kicking and screaming when it comes to the idea of going to bed or getting some rest. But for most of you, you probably have graduated from the time when rest felt like a punishment, and now rest is actually something very appealing. Now, God is so good to us because he allows for us to enjoy a period of rest. And the way that he has designed us is that we have been created to need a balance of rest and work and play. And in his word, he gives us kind of a prescription for rest. He gives us a perfect rhythm of rest that works so well for us. His rhythm of rest that he encourages us to will refresh our body, it will restore our soul, it will replenish our spirit. So this morning, let's look in his word, and if you're here on site and you don't have a Bible with you, then you can grab the Pew Bible just in front of you. It's on page 60. For others of you, we're going to look at Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, and here is where we find what God has to say about rhythms of rest within the Ten Commandments. So it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So if you are looking in God's word, you can see that this is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And you can also see that this is the longest of the commandments. This is the most descriptive of the commandments. And I think that maybe one of the reasons is that God knows us. He created us and he realizes that often we try to find loopholes when it comes to things. And here he is just putting it all out there. He says, you need rest. Your son and daughters need rest. The people who work with you need rest. The people who work for you need rest. Even your animals need rest. 
And in case you think that you're holier than rest, or that rest isn't important or necessary, I want you to know that even I took rest. And because God rested and he's our creator, it is okay to rest. So while I was away, I heard that we had a few kind of cold days. And I know in the month of January, sometimes we can experience blizzards, especially in our country. And there are actually locations in Canada where meteorologists will tell farmers that although it sounds archaic, they should tie a rope from the entrance of their home all the way to the entrance of their barn, just in case a blizzard should come up. Now, blizzards, when they come in, they come in strong, they come in fierce, and they come in quickly, and this rope will help the farmer get from one place to the other. There have been real-life instances when a farmer can get so distracted that they actually start going into circles. They're, they're disoriented, and they don't know where they're going. In fact, in the whirlwind and the whiteouts of a blizzard, they could put their hands outstretched in front of them and not even be able to make out the image of their own hand because a blizzard can be so blinding. And without that rope to guide them, some of the farmers have actually even frozen to death. And what makes matters even worse is when the blizzard has subsided, sometimes they are found only steps away from their own porch, not even realizing how close to safety they had actually come. They were not prepared for the blizzard. So that's a literal blizzard, but in our lives, we have often experienced a, a true blizzard as well. And our blizzards include all the work that we do, all the activity that we have around our family, and the hobbies that we have, and the chores that we have, and even maintaining the possessions that we have been blessed with. And we live in this blowing blizzard, and we are just surrounded by a whirlwind of busyness and demands. And just as a farmer can lose his way through the blizzard, so can we. We can lose our way spiritually in the midst of the blizzards of life. So the prepared farmer had a rope that would lead him home. And God offers us a rope as well. And the great thing about the rope that he offers us is that it consists of some strong threads. And the threads are our spiritual disciplines. So with these threads of prayer and Bible study and getting in community with our, our, our community of our life groups and whatnot, with having personal ministry, with having spiritually focused accountability partners, these are all strong threads. But one of the most life-giving threads that we can receive that we can be gifted from God is the life-giving thread of a rhythm of rest. And I just want you to consider just exactly what a rhythm of rest is this morning. We need to know that it's so much more than just a day off from work, a day to kind of catch up on other things. No, when we practice the rhythm of rest as God intended it to be practiced, then we will incorporate foundational qualities that will just restore our soul 
that will replenish us. And when we do it the way that God has asked for us to do it, then we will honor him. And we will also respect the way that we were designed. And so what we need to consider is stopping and resting and delighting and contemplating so much more than a day off. So the rhythm of rest is often also termed as Sabbath. We've heard that term before. And the first distinguishing quality of Sabbath is to stop. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word, which really means stop, seize, end. And so many of us behave like if we just stopped for a moment, that the world would stop spinning, that things could not keep going. And we forget that God is the one who is on the throne. It is not us. We forget that we can let it go, that we can put it in his big arms, and that we can trust him. And it's only by when we regularly practice a rhythm of rest or Sabbath that we begin to see that God really does have this, that we really can stop worrying about tomorrow. The core spiritual issue of stopping is trusting. And so Sabbath, a rhythm of rest, encourages us to trust. So we're going to flip now from Exodus. We're going to go into the New Testament at Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 6, 25 to 33. And again, in the Pew Bible, that's page 787. And it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So my question to you is, do we trust God enough to actually stop? Or are we like the pagans and we are running after everything? I encourage you to stop running and to start trusting God to take care of your concerns. And I know that it's, it's a radical concept. I know that it's very countercultural, But stopping is absolutely essential to our discipleship pathway. So by the world's standards, Sabbath is inefficient. It seems useless, it seems unproductive. But God's people, for us we stop. We hand over the reins to him. And when we do that, we're affirming God is the center of our lives. God is the source of our lives. We can pause things that are going on 
We can take a break and we can trust in him. If we think about the enslaved Israelites for 400 years in Egypt, what were they doing? They had no freedom to stop. They were basically tools of production. They had no um, ability to observe or experience Sabbath. They weren't given permission or even a choice to stop. So when God took them from their enslavement, when God brought them out of that, God encouraged them with the Ten Commandments and the fourth of the Ten Commandments that said, hey, let me tell you about your God-given nature and how you can live according to it. And not only do you need, because of the way that I have designed you, this break, this, this time to stop, but this can also be a testament of the fact that you have been liberated, that you are free to stop. And we also are free to stop. We are so loved by God for who we are. It's not about what we do or what we possess. That is not where we get our worth. That is not where we get our value. So once we stop, the next of the foundational uh, principles is to rest, rhythm of rest, because our body needs rest. I mean, we have built up so many tensions, we experience so many distractions, our culture just demands productivity, so we are very overscheduled, and often I think we are actually so fatigued we don't even realize how tired we are. But once a week, this concept of Sabbath, of stopping, this opportunity to have a rhythm of rest invites us just to let all that go. So years ago, I sold Pampered Chef, which is kind of a line of high-quality kitchen products and equipment, and I had a lot of success with that. I was a director. I had, I think, 33 consultants. I was earning free trips to fun places like New York City, and I just had more products than I knew what to do with. And things were going very well, but there was also a downside to all of that productivity. There was also a downside to all of that work. And what was happening was I had just become quite addicted to tasks, quite addicted to work, quite addicted to the idea of just doing, doing, doing. And in my schedule, there was absolutely no white margin. There was no white space. There was no opportunity for if a storm was to blow in, for if I was to experience a trial of life that I wasn't anticipating, I would have been absolutely knocked off my feet. The whirlwind of the blizzard would have consumed me because I had not built any type of regular pattern of rest into my schedule. Now back to God's word, the pattern of resting every seven days, it goes all the way back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So when we stop our work and when we rest, what we are doing is imitating God. 
And we are called to be image bearers of God. We are called to adopt the same pattern of work and rest that he illustrated all the way back in Genesis. And we trust that God knows what's best. So if he's saying, you know, every seven days that's optimal, then I think that's a really great rule of thumb. Now, when God took his break after six days, it wasn't because he was tired. I mean, God has infinite power. God has infinite energy. He is God. But we do not have that. We have limitations in our humanness. We are finite. So when Matt and I were very first married, I worked as a restaurant manager. And at this point, I was working in the kitchen mostly, and I would have 13-hour work days. And at one point, I had worked 31 days straight. And I was ready to just kind of divert my energy to something other than work. And so with a couple of days off, we decided that we were going to go to West Edmonton Mall and book one of those fancy-themed rooms and just have some fun, enjoying the amenities of the mall. I was looking forward to just, yeah, putting energy into doing some of the activities and maybe shopping and restaurants. And so we got to the mall, and we opened the door to the room, and I saw this very welcoming, inviting bed and thought, you know what, I'm just going to have a quick little cat nap before we start our fun and exciting weekend. But I'm pretty sure that it was simultaneous to my head hitting the pillow that I conked out. I was asleep for the entire weekend. And I think Matt thought maybe it was a waste of money because I could have done that just as easily at home. We all have limits to our capacities because we are not God. God is the only one who can be in two places at once. God is the only one who can be all things to all people, and he's the only one who needs no sleep. For the rest of us, a regular rhythm of rest just helps us live within our limits. And when we are unwilling to practice a rhythm of rest, when we say, ah, I don't need to reboot, even if God says I do, then we are insinuating that we know better than God, our creator, does. And so for how long have you been living a pattern? Have you been living a life where you're saying, I, I'm beyond that. I don't have limits. How long have you been acting as though you know better than God does? God calls you to rest. And when we're all rested up, then we're no longer deprived. And now we get this opportunity to replenish our spirit. Now we have this opportunity to enjoy activities and, and things that are going to renew us with joy. We can delight in the things of creation and in God's gifts. We have this opportunity to slow down and to be in the moment. So I'm thinking of West. Edmonton Mall again, and I'm thinking of our out-of-town guests. And for those of you who have been at the mall and have recognized these out-of-town guests, you know the people. They are standing in the middle of the mall, and maybe right now you don't see it because we're wearing our masks, but their, their mouths agap, right? Like they're just jaws dropped, and their eyes are so wide, and they're just taking it all in. And they're so impressed with all the specialties of the mall. And they're just 
in this zone where they just, just see it all and they delight in it all. And they're kind of the opposite of us. For those of us who are from around here and we go to the mall and we find the parking spot that's closest to the store that we need to go to and then we zip in and we're kind of beelined, we're kind of, you know, tunnel vision to get to the store, to accomplish our errand, to get out of there as quickly as possible. And we're not really noticing the things around us that might distract us because, you know, we've got a task. We've got work to do. We're in blizzard mode. But our out-of-town guests, they're in snow day mode. You know what I mean by snow day, right? I mean, as Canadians, we're very hardy. So maybe we don't have as many snow days as they do in other parts of the world. We just kind of trudge through usually. But I can remember a Sabbath, or sorry, a snow day. Um, an actual snow day where it had snowed so much where the snow had blown in to a point that it was about the height of me and it was blocking us in. We could not even open our front door. And I knew I was going nowhere. And I knew no one else was going anywhere either. And with the, the snow day that I was going to be experiencing, I knew now that I had no obligations, I had no pressures, I had no responsibilities. I could just enjoy a snow day Sabbath. And for the rhythm of rest, I enjoy Sabbath um, and no obligation snow day once a week. I generally have mine from about Sunday at 3 p.m. to Monday at 3 p.m. And that's just what works for me. You are invited to have 52 snow days, no obligation, Sabbath, restful days. And these are the days that you can incorporate 52 times a year so that all of those errands that consume you, all of those tasks that drain you, all of those important decisions that rack your brain and the worries that are just in the back of your head that are milling around, you can put them on hold 52 times a year. You can put them on the back burner. You now instead can enjoy the refreshment of all the things that you delight in. You can linger with friends. You can savor time with family. And you can just enjoy the presence of each other. And you can enjoy the presence of God. I love Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So to me, this is the perfect picture of just the delight of Sabbath. It's a peaceful image of the rhythm of rest where the shepherd is inviting us to slow down. The shepherd is inviting us to just have some peace, some tranquility. The shepherd is the one who's leading us. The shepherd is the one who's making the decisions for us. The shepherd is keeping watch over us. So what brings you delight and what brings me delight might be something very different. I mean, it's very, you know, highly personal. 
So for some, maybe it's digging into a good book and being able to read for pleasure. For others, it's preparing and sharing favorite foods with, with friends. For my family, we quite enjoy playing board games, so often our rhythm of rest involves just taking a break and pulling out a game or two. Some people like little adventures. What replenishes you? Is it a bubble bath? Is it getting out in nature? Maybe it's beautiful music. If you don't know what refreshes you, then my guess is that you know the opposite end of the spectrum. My guess is that you know what depletes you, what distracts you from just having a rhythm of rest. And again, for different people, it would be different things. For some people, it's your computer. For some people, it's your communication technology because any time that you're invested in, in being on your computer and being involved with your communication technology, you're instantly in work mode. And the rhythm of rest is the opposite of work mode. So for some people, they actually find uh, all that technology to be an intrusion when it comes to having a healthy pattern of rest. So for those days, they just need to kind of put that aside. For other people, there are certain activities that just trigger just this, this mentality of productivity or sometimes trigger the mentality that you are absolutely indispensable. And remember, those are the things that we want to put aside. We want to say, I am, I'm not indispensable. God's got this. The world does not stop spinning if I stop, if I rest, if I delight. Uh, for some people, it actually might be just abstaining from consumerism because sometimes just, you know, that regular rhythm of going shopping and, and doing those kind of things can just remove you from being sensitive to the blessings of, of God's gifts of what he's already given to you. But all of these are just, just ideas, things to take into consideration because when you are designing the perfect pattern of rest, when you are preparing and planning what works well for you, you don't want to be so rigid. You don't want to be so legalistic about putting together the package that works well for you. So if we look at a passage in Mark, this really illustrates this well. This is really important. Um, it's page 813 in the Pew Bibles. It's Mark 2, 23 to 28. Mark 2, 23 to 28 says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God. He ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So at this time, there were all sorts of Jewish laws that revolved around the Sabbath day. There were literally thousands of rules and regulations that would help people know what was appropriate to do and what was inappropriate to do. And here the Pharisees are accusing Jesus' disciples of breaking some of those rules. 
But Jesus points out to them, hey, you're really quick to condemn them for breaking these laws, but yet in the same breath, you would be so quick to condone and so quick to support David and what he did. And yet, really, if you look at it, that was kind of a a far more blatant violation than what the disciples are doing. And Jesus, in a parallel passage in Matthew where there's the same conversation, he points out, you know, as priests, you work every Sabbath. Jesus makes it clear that behind God's law, there is a higher purpose. Behind God's law, there is meaning. And certainly some of those purposes are higher than others. So ceremonial rituals seem to be really high up there for the Pharisees. But Jesus is saying, actually, those ceremonial rituals are pretty low on the totem pole compared to taking care of the needs of others, compared to showing mercy to another. So I just want to be clear, because maybe some of us are confused. Okay, what, what, what do I need to do? What don't I need to do? The church is not required to observe Sabbath in that same ceremonial way as the Jews. And once again, Jesus' words in Mark 2.27 will attest to that, where it says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And these words invite us, as the children of God, to apply the principle of Sabbath, rest, the rhythm of taking a break to refresh us, and to honor God. So I really love this. This is great news because instead of having all the questions that maybe you had at the onset of my message, things like, well, does it matter what day of the week? Does it matter what time I start? Does it matter what time I end? Is it okay to shop? Is it okay to go to a restaurant? Is it okay to mow my lawn or shovel my snow? Instead of asking all these questions, we can replace it with just one important question. And that question is, is your rhythm of rest refreshing you and bringing honor to our holy God? And I hope that if you are remembering to stop, if you're remembering to rest, if you're remembering to delight, that that pattern that you're experiencing really truly is refreshing you and bringing honor to God. But besides those first three, there is a fourth foundational quality, and this, again, is something that just separates it from just another day off, and that is the peace where we are contemplating God. And for a lot of us, Sunday might be our rhythm of rest day, the day that we just kind of take a break, the day that we stop, that we rest, that we delight and we contemplate, because here in our service, we have so many opportunities to contemplate, to contemplate through prayer, to contemplate through worshiping God in music, to contemplate as as you hear God's word. Now, this contemplation is so important because I know that all of us are very eager to develop our relationship with God. We're very eager to be deeply rooted in him, but without an unhurried period of time where we can just contemplate him. 
That is very difficult. The world will tell us, if you're not making good use of your time, you're useless. And to the person who's on the outside looking in, contemplation might really look useless. It might look like somebody just kind of sitting around and not doing very much. But the results of contemplation are absolutely transformational. So the story goes that Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Company, he once hired an efficiency expert. And he brought this efficiency expert in to analyze things. He said, if you can just evaluate my company for a couple of weeks, maybe you can find little tweaks that we can um, add into our company policies and how we do things so that we are able to just be even more efficient. And so the expert comes and he's checking everything out. And after two weeks' time, he says, Mr. Ford, I must commend you. I mean, you guys have got a lot of great things happening here. But if I am to make just one recommendation, my recommendation to you would be, there's this one employee. I have walked past him time and time again over the course of the last two weeks. And every time I walk past him, He's sitting in the same posture. He's in his chair. He's got his hands behind his head. His legs are up on the desk, and he just sits there. And quite frankly, I think he as an employee is a big waste of money. So if I'm going to recommend anything, maybe you just let go of that employee. Well, to that suggestion, Henry Ford said, you know that man... He once had an idea, and that idea saved us millions of dollars. And you'll want to know what? He was in that exact same position that you have been seeing him. Back, legs up. He had been contemplating things. And although the employee might seem useless, to somebody looking inside. His contemplation was what brought great value to the company and what transformed the Ford company. So when you're contemplating the things of God, you are going to be attending to the voice of God. Sometimes that means you're going to have to find a place where you can just find silence and, and solitude because contemplation feeds the soul. And so you need to find an environment where your soul can be fed. And it's essential that you contemplate so that you can focus on the things that count. Because through contemplation, we're going to ponder God's love. We're going to get a taste for what awaits us when we meet him face to face. We can get so caught up in the blizzard of life that without steady contemplation, we are just going to find ourselves absolutely unsure of the bigger picture of what God intends for us. So when we contemplate, I encourage you to consider the words of Psalm 37.7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. When you do that, you will have a renewed sense of God's calling and presence. So I just want to encourage all of you. 
I want to encourage you to be intentional about setting aside time where you can stop, where you can rest, where you can delight, where you can contemplate. I encourage you to try Sabbath. I encourage you to figure out a rhythm of rest. I encourage you to pick a day in your calendar, something that will work for you, something that will work for your family. And yeah, it's going to mean you're going to have to make some very courageous decisions. It's going to mean that maybe you're going to have to rethink how you do work, that you're going to have to rethink the other things, the activities, what you are involved with. But once you do, once you arrange this beautiful pattern, this rhythm of rest for your life, you will find it to be the centerpiece of your existence. You will enjoy it so much. It will be just such a pleasure every week. It will be the kingpin of your spiritual rhythms. It's going to take preparing. It's going to take planning, just like the farmer who had to prepare. He had to plan. He had to pull that rope out. He had to string it up from point A to point B. But for him, that rope was there to rescue him. And for you, you will be so glad that you've incorporated a rhythm of rest to strengthen you through the storms. You will be so glad that you have this rhythm of rest to give you boldness through the blizzards of life. If you would just pray with me. Dear Lord, we pray, God, that you would help us to just grab hold of you as our rope in the blizzard, Lord. We need you, God. The idea of stopping every seven days for 24 hours or incorporating some sort of rhythm of rest that can seem very overwhelming, certainly countercultural, different from what we're used to. But God, we trust you, especially when you let us know this is what's best. God, I pray that you would show each and every one of us the way to adopt a rhythm of rest, a way to stop, a way to rest, to delight, to contemplate as you intend us to. Yes, Lord, for some of us, this is going to require a whole lot of change to the way that we are currently living life. God, we trust you to lead us to the next step. God, we trust you that we can refrain from trying to run your world, that we don't have to run after everything like the pagans do, but that we can allow you to be on the throne that you so adequately are on. God, help us to contemplate your goodness, God, and your plan for our life. I pray, Lord, that we would be prayerfully attentive to what you have to say to us in light of these words on the rhythm of rest. God, may we live faithful to your son, Jesus. God, may we use our time May we use all that we do when we work and all that we do when we rest, all that we do when we play, to honor you, Lord. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen.